Luke 12, beginning in verse 8. We've been in Luke 12, verse 8 for multiple months. I have read this verse in the month of March and in the month of April. I fear I may read it in the month of May. But I want you to get something today. Maybe the intensity behind the text. Have you ever had a, had a, a child, maybe, maybe your own kid, and you're taking them to college, you're sending them off? Or maybe it's just summer camp. Like, here, here's summer camp, here you go, I'll see you in a week. And, and, or maybe it's just the first day of school, first grade or third. Or you just, and you see your kid going away, see him mom. And you're like, and you kind of wonder, did I do it right? Did I teach them everything they need to know? I have younger kids, and so they haven't experienced any of those things yet. But from time to time, my wife and I go on dates or trips, and we have our neighbor come over, Natalie, and she watches our kids for us. And as that happens, usually I'll rattle off a bunch of instructions right before we leave. And don't forget this, and here's the pizza, and there's the popsicles, and there's the popcorn, and here's the video games, and here's the movie. Just trying to keep everyone happy. And I'm kind of just, and don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do this, and here's our phone number, and here's this. And I'm coming out, and my wife's pulling me out the door like, we're leaving. And, then, and I just kind of rattle off, and my wife tells me when I get outside, honey, you're a little intense. You know, a little, you know, intimidating, which, by the way, only fuels me. Just so, you know, I was like, yeah, I hope so, you know. And, but my heart as a father is, just like yours would be as a parent, sending your kids off to college. Like, don't, don't, brush your teeth, don't forget, go, go to school, you know, floss, ah, did you learn anything? And here Jesus, without panicking, and maybe a little intense, is getting ready to leave. He's preparing his disciples as he is going to now leave earth after he pays for our sins and he's going to then leave the disciples to figure it out and so he's giving them a litany of teachings and instructions and commands and do this and don't do that and watch out for this and be careful of that and beware and heed and take heed all these things why because he wants them to do well any good parent knows when you're training your kids or arguing with your kids, or even yelling at your kids. You, any good parent would know, I, I just love you. I just want you to do well. I don't want you to get taken astray. I don't want you to fall off. I don't want you to blow it. I want you to do well. I've actually prayed this prayer over my kids, that God would take their lives and do greater things in their lives than he, would, than he has mine, that they would exceed me, excel me, that they would, they would have a better life than I ever had, spiritually and physically and whatever, and they would just do. That's every parent's heart. And so too, listen, God's heart for you is that you would do well. And so he gives us these challenging teachings. Matter of fact, tonight's teaching is so challenging from Jesus that the ushers were instructed to give you a tissue and a blanket when you came in, just so you could comfort yourself. Anybody get that today when you came? No, you didn't get that? You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Because Jesus has given it to us straight. I had a guy at the 11 a.m. service coming to shake my hand. He's visiting. He said, I just want to thank you for giving it to us straight today. And I'm, I, I stole Jesus' sermon. It wasn't my sermon. It was his words to us because we need to know. How are we going to figure this out? How many in here tonight are saved? Okay, just be honest, this is true part. You know, praise God. Are you guys excited to be saved? Are you kidding me? You're saved. Like, yes. Thank you, Jesus. And what the Lord does is he saves us. We're like, yeah, now what? He's like, I'm gonna work on you. Like, that sounds like it might need a tissue, you know. Like, do I get a blanket? You know. I was actually on this flight coming back from Hawaii, and they had blankets for sale. I was so offended. The flight on the way there was like, here's a free blanket. It's a long flight. Get comfortable. On the way home, they're like, it's 10 bucks for a blanket. I'm like, I don't want a blanket, you know? And the Lord says to you, he says, hey, guess what? I'm going to change you, even though I already saved you. Thank you for saving me, but I'm going to now work on your character. I'm going to work on who you are. I'm going to warn you, correct you, direct you, instruct you, rebuke you, and reproof you. That's what I'm going to do. 
And I don't know if you know that, if you settled into that every single day. The Bible actually says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? That doesn't mean you can lose it. That doesn't mean you need to hold on to it and freak out. It means now that you're saved, all right, settle into it. Let's get sanctified. Let's change. Let's let the character within me be checked out and let it be sifted out so I can become more like Jesus. I, I hope you get this. Some of you who are more mature and you understand, yeah, that's what God's been doing. Some of you younger people are like, what? I didn't read that in the small print there. Listen to me. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says this. And whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. He's predestined that you would be different than you were. He loves you so much that he saved you, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are when he saved you. This is good news. God is committed to your well-being. Like a parent, he's yelling at you and screaming at me from time to time to get my attention. He gives us his word, and every word from God is profitable for reproof and correction and instruction. Listen, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that we may be equipped for every good work. I appreciate you guys so much coming to church. You're learning, you're listening. But unless you're here to learn and to listen and then go do something, it's a big waste of time. You understand that? It's like going to college. It's a big waste of time unless you're taking notes and actually getting a degree and getting an education. Don't waste anybody's time. But you're here tonight. All right. All right. What do I need to be aware of? Let's read then verses 8 through 12. We already studied it before. And then we'll go into the story that happens after that following. Look at verse 8. Also I say to you, Jesus giving this litany of instructions and commands, whoever confesses me before men, well, him the son of man will also confess before the angels of God. These disciples are writing down notes. Confess him will be confessed. That's good news. Verse 9. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Big asterisk on their notes. Don't deny the Lord. That would really suck, you know. And, and Peter here's thinking, Peter's going to do that in just a few months. He's going to actually blow it, make a huge mistake. He's writing notes and highlighting stuff. And maybe he was just doodling. I don't know what he was doing. Verse 10. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. And they're writing notes. Okay, if we blow it, he will forgive us. That's good. That's good. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. They're writing notes and their pencil lead breaks. Did, did he say not forgiven? Like, we better circle back and double-click on that one. We did that two weeks ago. We better figure, don't, you know what? There's one landmine in the house to avoid at all costs. This is the one, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is to resist the grace of Jesus, to say no to God, to resist him and not be forgiven, and therefore stuck in your sins and held accountable forever. Don't do that. He says, that's the only, there's only one sin I won't forgive. It's the sin of a hard heart saying no to God. The Bible says in the Psalms that the fool says no to God. That the fool wakes up and looks outside and sees the sun rising, stars shining, waves crashing. Yeah, there's no God. There's, that's, that's what the Bible says. It's the one unpardonable sin. Then he goes on to say this. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and the authorities, don't worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Again, they're sharpening their pencils. Like, did he just say, when we get in trouble? When we get brought before the magistrates and the authorities and the leaders and, and they're mad at us, I think, they, I, think he, I think he said they're going to be mad at us. You know, and they're writing this because nobody's mad at them yet. They're not realizing that their Savior is about to be crucified. And then he, they're going to be asked to follow him. Now listen, Jesus is speaking on some pretty important stuff. I try and do the same. When I come up here, I don't try and waste your time. I try and speak on important stuff. I try and tell my babysitter important stuff. I try and tell my kids important stuff. Jesus here is saying important things. I didn't read to you the other parts of the sermon before this where he talked about don't fear man, fear God, because God is the one who can kill you and put you in hell. Like, that's the one you should probably respect and honor and love. Like, those, whoa, that's, 
whoa, that's a big, that's a big idea right there. He says, yeah, don't blow it. He said, and don't fall into hypocrisy. He's telling these guys, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't do this. And watch out for that. And here's the command. Right then, a guy raises his hand, interrupts the teaching. I actually don't know if he raised his hand or if he just bleh, blurted something out. But this is kind of a weird spot for Jesus. This is where the red letters end, and somebody talks. Somebody says something dumb. Have you guys ever said anything dumb before? Anybody ever, like, you just like, did I say that? I can't, I need to apologize to, like, everybody. I can't believe I said that. We've all <laughs> said dumb things, all of us. This guy, I don't know if he raised his hand, and I have learned in my teaching experience when somebody raises their hand to just kind of nod and say, email me, and I'm not going to call on, we're not going to, we're not going there. This guy, here's what he yells out. Right in the middle here, he misses the entire teaching. This is, this, this is a pet peeve of mine. When you can speak with somebody for 20 minutes on the phone or an hour counseling session or a 17-hour sermon or whatever comes, you know, and, and you can just get, oh, it's good. That was good. That was really good. And, all, and all, they didn't get anything because they were stuck on their subject. They were distracted when they got there, and they stayed distracted and disconnected throughout the entire time. I've done visits in jail. I've talked to guys and gals. I've done it. And they, yeah, did, you, did you hear anything? No, not a thing. And they ask the question that they were asking before. They just, they, they're stuck in this cycle. That's what this guy's doing. Jesus has given a very good, very important teaching. And this is what this guy says. Look at it, verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And I imagine Jesus like, he, he's, in the, he's on a roll, you know. If you, if you say a word against me, I'll forgive you. If you bless me in the Holy Spirit, it's not going to go well. And when you're brought before the magistrates, man, the Holy Spirit's going to be there for you. Teacher, tell my brother's being a jerk. And he's like, what did you say? What did you say to my face? What did you say? And Jesus here, I love the way he handles this. You study Jesus. If you're going to study the Bible at all, okay, start with Jesus. That's why we've been in Luke for so long. I just love studying Jesus. And so Jesus here, speaking about things that are very important, and by the way, let me just say it before I forget to say it. The things in your life right now that consume your mind, your, your one-track thought, your interpersonal problems, your business drama, your, your financial portfolio, the, the stress in your life, that's real. There's a place for it on the grid. But it doesn't come close to the things that Jesus talks about. Okay? And if you're an eternal being having a temporary human experience, okay, you need to really get that in your mind. If you're a, a, an eternal being going to heaven when you die, it makes all the little things the little things. And you can major on the majors and minor on the minors. This guy is trying to major on a minor right now. He's like, hey, speaking of really bad stuff, my brother's a pretty bad guy. And Jesus is not impressed. And look at how he answers in verse 14. But Jesus said to him, man. I think that's how he said it. I don't know. I think he looks like, man. Man. You know, man. And, and there's, I've, I've gotten emails and text messages from people that I've been ministering to or in this town. I read them like, man, is this really what we're talking about? Is this really what is important to you right now when lives are being saved and marriages are being restored? And this is, you, wanna, you want me to be mad at your friend for, man, and I quote Jesus, man. You know, I take notes from the red letters. Listen to what Jesus says, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Let me say what I just said one minute ago. For this man, this is his important need. He does need arbitration. He needs legal advice. He needs to figure this out. 
Apparently, he's just experienced a death in the family, and there's a civil issue. There's a uh, um, uh, will, and there's, a, there's inheritance, and there's a problem. It's real, but it has nothing in contrast to the weightiness of what Jesus offers to you and I. It's, it's balance. It's perspective. And again, I have spoken with people for hours about their, their problem, their issue. And then you put Jesus in the middle, and the light of Jesus shines on that. And it really, it causes that issue, if, if you're wise, to pale in comparison to the things of God. And this is our privilege if you are a Christian. No matter what's happening in your life, if you can say, dude, I'm going to heaven when I die. Like, for real, I can handle this. It's actually not a big deal. I'm actually going to let this go. I don't need arbitration. I don't need legal help. I am going to heaven. This doesn't define me. I can overcome this. This is not what's going to keep me up at night. Instead, what's going to keep me up at night is the fear that my friends would go to hell forever. That's the part that bugs me. That's the part I want to talk about, Jesus. And that would be a wise response. So Jesus says to him gently but clearly, bro, this is not the time for that. Go talk to a lawyer. I'm not going to be that guy. And then Jesus, though, because he's so radical, uses it as a teachable moment. He says, you know what? Thank you for bringing it. As dumb as that question was, I need more money, Jesus. Can you help me get more money? My brother's so mean. <laughs> as dumb as that is, I'm actually going to use it as a teachable moment and help everybody to see what they need to see. And look at verse 15. And he said to them, and the them could be the whole crowd. It could be this brother and his brother. They could have been right there. He, I don't know who it's talking to, but it is applicable to all of us. Then he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. If you'd like to have a life change verse for the rest of your life that will guide you and direct you and pull you out of every ditch you fall in for the rest of your life, it's verse 15. Especially if you're an American. Okay. And, and I think we all are. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of that which he possesses or the lack thereof. It doesn't, that's not where your life's at. Your life's beyond that. It doesn't matter what he's done to you or what she's doing. That, that, that's not where your life's at. But if I figure this out, I'll be better. No, you won't. But if I get that, this one thing will make me happy. No, it won't. And Jesus says, beware and take heed of covetousness. I'm leaving. You're going to be here. There's going to be lots of shiny things going by you in your journey. Don't get distracted by them. There's going to be things that upset you, things that attract you, things that are lesser. Don't go down that. Beware. Take heed of covetousness. And then Jesus gives this parable. A parable is a teaching that you would lay alongside of a principle. Principle is the truth. doesn't need any help. It's going to be true no matter what you think. It's the truth. But a parable helps to illustrate that truth. It's a story. Parallel is to lay alongside of. Parabolo is a story alongside of a truth. So Jesus tells a parable, a story. He's like, let me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you a story that's fake in order to illustrate the principle that needs no adjustment and will not relent and will be true forever. So he spoke a parable, verse 16, to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. It's a good day, okay? When your business worked, you got a, a raise, you did something right, an investment, it's a good day. No sin involved in verse 16. It's a good day. This is actually what we should all be working for. Verse 17, and this rich man thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Also, a good day. Good question. I have too much. I have more than I need. That's essentially what he's saying. I have more money at the end of the month. Has that ever happened to you? It hasn't happened to me yet. I'm waiting for that day when I have to, you know, when I, when I, I have more money than I need it. You know, I kid. I, I, I do. But he asked this question that you and I have to ask all the time. I, I've, got, I've got money. What do I do? Did you know that you ask yourself that question every time you get paid? And then it's seen in the way that it's metered out and spent. 
And he asks this question. There's no sin yet. This guy's doing his job just like you will be forced to do your job as well, having increase, having income, having overhead, and then having a surplus. No big deal. No big deal. Verse 17. It leads to verse 18. He says this. So he said, I'll do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store my crops and my goods. I'll start a savings account. Not a big deal. I'll start an investment, a retirement fund. I'll, I'll put it over here. Still no sin involved, but we don't know his heart yet. He actually could be being a good steward like Joseph was. I know. I'll store up in order that we can give away later. That's what I'll do. I'll store up so I can help that Ethiopian in a foreign country. I'll do. I'll, so I, we, we, we would wish that was what he was thinking. But instead, Jesus, teaching on covetousness, knows this man's heart. Verse 19, the wheels come off the track. And I'll say to my soul, soul, this guy's talking to himself, he needs therapy. Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. I actually don't have a problem with the eat, drink, and be merry part. I think we should all be very happy. I think we should be very joyful and grateful and generous and have a great, I think we should, I think, I think life's amazing. It's the take your ease part where all of a sudden he got the attention of heaven. What did you, what did you do with that blessing I gave you? Oh, I hid it. I retracted. I wanted it all for myself so I wouldn't have to engage with my church or my fellow man or my community or anybody. And it's at that point that covetousness took over this man's soul. Look what happens in verse 20. But God said to him, fool. Think of Mr. T. <laughs> fool. You know, it's gold chains. Fool. And, and by the way, side note, you want to avoid being called a fool from God at all costs. In chapter 11, he called the religious people fools, okay, for their hypocritical ways. And here he's calling a covetous person a fool. So something to meditate on. Like, I don't want to blow it. And he's, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will those things be which you have provided? Who's going to get your stuff then? It's not, it, you blew it. I gave you stuff, and you hit it, and then you're dead. Which, by the way, this is the end of all of us. We will all die. You're not going to be able to, there's no U-Haul trailers behind hearses. Have you noticed that? Like, there's no, it's just, wouldn't that be, you know? It's like, no, you, it's not yours no more. It was yours right before you took that last breath, and you should have done something better than to stow it away for another day, which you don't get. Jesus then goes on to say in verse 21, last verse, so is he who lays up treasure for himself, that's a fool, and is not rich toward God, and that's who we want to become, and that's who we want to be is rich towards God. Now, in order to jump into this, back up to verse 12 and verse 11, and he says to his disciples in preparation, when they bring you before synagogues and magistrates, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what you need to know. And the first question I would ask you tonight is this. How many of you guys right now are planning on getting in trouble for Jesus? Like you're planning on being brought before the magistrates for Jesus. You better be. You better be. I, don't plan on getting in trouble for being a dummy. Okay, that's on you. That's, there's no, no grace for that. Like, oh, I was just out there rebel rousing. I got in trouble just like Jesus said. No, no, that's different. But Jesus did say, if you desire to be godly, you will suffer persecution. It's going to happen on one way or another, on one level or another. And I say that because Jesus says, when, not if you be brought before magistrates and the authorities. Now, in that day, these guys would all be brought before magistrates and the authorities, and they would all be killed for their faith. It was real to them, a little different than it is to us. But there is something I want you to understand. If you're a Christian here, there's going to be someday, some way, where it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to make a stance at work or at home or at school or on the team or on media or wherever it is where you say, I'm a Christian. You are a what? 
hey, come over here, we're about to do this. No, I don't do that anymore. You don't do what? And you're going to suffer some sort of social persecution in our culture. It probably won't die. It probably won't even get beat up. But you're going to have some sort of ostracization. And I just ask you, are you ready for that? Here's how to get ready. Jesus says, take no thought. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit's going to bless you right when you need it. When you get picked on, when you get questioned, when you get asked, God's going to come alongside of you and give you what you need in that very hour. I need to tell you something, though. Jesus in John 14, 26, just hours before he would die, like the very last words of preparation, Jesus says, when you get arrested, guess what? Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit, keyword, will bring to remembrance that which you've heard. Here's the catch. What have you heard? What are you hearing? Have you heard the word of God? Have you stowed it away? Have you put it away for a rainy day, if you would? This is my encouragement to you as your pastor and your friend. Read the Bible. Listen to sermons. Have conversations with other believers. Go to a life group. Talk about the Lord. Read books about Christianity. Read Christian history. Read. Listen to. And you might say, I, I've been doing that. I'm just, I don't know. It's just boring. I don't see anything. What you're doing when you do those things is you're making a spiritual investment into your spiritual bank account that one day the Holy Spirit will make a spiritual withdrawal upon. And you don't know when. And one day the Holy Spirit's going to look at you and you're going to be under duress, in trouble, under pressure. And the Holy Spirit's going to go and come right to you and say, I got your back. I'm going to pull out of you that which you put in. And he's going to open up your spiritual account and say, you haven't made a deposit in 20 years. What the, what the heck, dude? You know, he's going to look in your spiritual bank account and see a flannel graph from your Sunday school days. You know, like, what's this? You know, what is this? So my encouragement to you is if you're reading the Bible in the morning and it's not, I, I read it, but I just, it didn't give me the fuzzies, you know? I read the book and it just, I got to chapter one and I fell asleep and I was listening to a podcast and, you know, I just turned on ACDC instead, you know? I just, I don't have any, it just doesn't do it for me because it's, if you expect an immediate return from your spiritual investment, you're going to give up. If you expect an immediate return, just like your savings account financially, if you put some money away, what's that for? For when I need it. So I'm going to need it. Someone's going to, someone's going to, even if I don't need it, somebody might. And the same is true with your spirituality. This is, I, for those of you who are doing this, keep doing it. Become very rich towards God. Memorize scripture. Wouldn't it be awesome if you decided to memorize a scripture per week uh, for the rest of the year, 52 scriptures a year? Write them on a note card, otherwise you'll forget them. <laughs> you know, mem yes, you're memorizing them. And, and just memorize them. Just commit it, commit it, commit it. Because here's my question for you. Do you know right now what Satan has planned for you next week? You don't. You can guarantee he has something planned for you. The Bible says that he is an adversary, like a prowling lion, looking for someone to devour, 1 Peter chapter 5. He's just kind of looking like, hmm, wonder who's spiritually anemic. wonder who I can take out. You don't know when the next time you're going to need a defense mechanism, such as the sword of the spirit, or the shield of faith, or the helmet of salvation, or the breastplate of righteousness, or the belt of truth, or the feet that are shod with the gospel of peace. You don't know when you're going to need that, but you, you better realize you're going to. Or what about when someone calls you? You don't even, you're not having a problem at all. Someone calls you and says, dude, I just lost my kid. I need you to counsel me. Let me know the Lord's still good. What, could you share a verse with me? Uh, I haven't read a verse in Sunday school. You know, don't be in that position. I had a guy text me yesterday. The horrible situation in his life. Here's what's going on. Here's what, here's, here's what, and he said, I need a verse right now for this. Right now, I need, I need something to, to offer to this family they're going through, and I was able to give them some verses right away. You don't know when the test, Jesus says, when you're brought before magistrates, don't worry, the Holy Spirit will pull out of you that which you've put in 
to you. Maybe it's a time of witness or testing or defense. First Peter chapter 3.15, committed to memory. Please memorize that. Peter, who would die upside down on a cross, says this, always be ready to give a defense or an answer for the faith and the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear. Peter's yelling at people. He's like, guys, always be ready to tell somebody why you're a believer, why you're doing this. Always have a reason to explain the hope that was within you. That word defense is where we get our word apologetics. It's the same Greek word for apologetics, which is a big word for defending the faith, why we believe what we believe. Because people are going to attack you. How are you going to respond next time you're attacked? Are you going to have peace and meekness and confidence and faith? I've been attacked and I've responded wrong. Raise your hand if you've done that before. You ever been, you ever been pushed and you're like, huh, you think that's a push? This is a push, you know, and like you give, give them something. The Bible says, hey, prepare yourself so you don't do that. Matter of fact, last night I was made aware of a, a review on our South Beach Church Facebook page. You can go on pages and leave a review. Somebody gave us a one-star review last night. And uh, they said, more like, instead of South Beach Church, more like South Beach Cult. And uh, they kind of left this review there. And then they went on to talk poorly about beards and being brainwashed and all the rest. And, and it was Saturday night and preparing this sermon. You know, I'll be ready. You're going to get attacked. I'm like, hey, it just happened, you know. And I could have seen myself reacting a lot of different ways, you know, fear, depression, anger, you know, go on Facebook, find this person, oh yeah, you're the one who's jealous, you know, let me tell you about beards, you're just jealous, you know, or whatever, just something dumb, something dumb. But, but we want to pray for those who persecute us and who spitefully reject us. How are you going to do that? What about this one? What if you, what if you wake up one day and you're just confused? You just forget, you just, oh man, I feel dark. I feel, I feel kind of crazy. I feel kind of nuts. I feel like I don't believe in God anymore. I don't know the truth. And you just wake up kind of wacky. Guess what the Bible says about itself? That it is a light for your feet and a lamp for your path. It's going to shine the light. And I wake up kind of confused. You can be honest. I, I wake up depressed sometimes. I wake up just kind of concerned. I don't know what to do. And God's like, did you, did you store some Bible up for that? Did you put something in there? And the Holy Spirit reminds me and gives you sometimes a verse for me and me a verse for you. This is how it works. And while Jesus is telling these guys, this is how it's going to work, the Holy Spirit's going to be there, all of a sudden this guy pipes up and asks for arbitration between his brother. He missed the obvious teaching for a smaller distraction. And let me just say quickly, I don't have time to even develop or talk about it. Don't be that person. Okay, just mature into the things of God. You have problems, I have issues, I've got stress, I've got things that are way lower tier items, and they don't need to derail my fellowship or my understanding of the Bible or what's going on. Like, deal with that stuff. But when God is on the uh, topic and the subject and eternity, you're an eternal being having a temporary human experience. Like, put it into context. And I have spent hours with people talking about the things of God, only to realize it went in one ear and out the other. And nothing stuck. Don't do that. This guy didn't get it. And so Jesus used it as a teachable moment. He says in verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Again, this verse right here will change every day for the rest of your life. And your dissatisfaction, your weariness, your wanderings, and your wonderings. What's life all about? Jesus said it. Your life does not consist in the abundance of the things you possess. And then he gives a warning prior. Don't be a coveter. Take heed of covetousness, and covetousness basically is wanting more of what you already have enough of. And if you're an American, you probably have enough of everything, okay? It just lets you know that. But if you're also an American, you're probably trained to covet, okay? It's called advertising. 
Okay, you ever turn on the TV before? They say we see anywhere from 500 to 2,000 messages per day. Radio, internet, newspaper, magazines, ads. You need this, you need this, you need this. Did you know they have this, they have this, they have that? I didn't know they had that. I didn't even know I needed that. I need that. You, know, you don't need that. You have this. It's so old. It's an iPhone 8. I hate my iPhone 8. They have an iPhone X. It's so crazy. It's got a full screen. I can't believe that. You know, you, and if people were to see you, they'd say, you have a phone in your pocket? How is this happening? <laughs> Covetousness, wanting more of what you already have enough of. Did you know that it makes the top 10 do not do and do do sins in the Old Testament? The Ten Commandments. There are sins in there that most of us are very well aware of and we're avoiding at all costs. Don't murder, don't lie, you know, don't steal, don't commit adultery. We're just, I'm trying not to do all those things. Covetousness makes that list. We're like, that's a sin? I like looking at magazines, you know. I like watching home improvement shows. Makes me feel funny, you know. We, you ever watch one of those improvement shows where they're swapping out the sinks and the toilets and all that, and you, you think you're just watching and being impressed. No, you're sitting there coveting when I have Formica countertops. <laughs> they have granite. I didn't know you could have granite so shiny, you know. I want granite. Can we get granite? You know, you have countertops. We are trained to covet. And it's, a, it's one of those weird sins, by the way, because if I was lying and stealing and murdering, like it would be pretty evidenced in my life. You could see it. But I can actually sit here with my hands in my pocket and just covet, and no one knows it. Just, and I can just smile and look at you and be coveting. <laughs> Wish I had what you had. I'm not happy now that I know you. You know, it's like, what? Coveting will take all of your joy away from you and distract you and derail you. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's like, did I not just give a great sermon and you're worried about something so dumb? It's covetousness. And God is, Jesus doesn't want you to be around great sermons and great teaching and great truth and miss it for something so dumb because you're coveting whatever it is you don't have enough of, even though you have plenty of it. And it could be anything. That's not to be material. It could be social things. It could be physical. I just want what they have. I want, I, I want what I don't have. And again, this is, this is prevailing in our culture. You get magazines and flyers in the mail. You get emails. I get stuff from Old Navy all the time. Do you guys get Old Navy stuff? In Old Navy right now, they're having specials on their winter, fall, spring, and summer lineups, okay? Which you need all of that in Newport in the same day. Like, I need all of that. I need all those things, you know. Now, you know, I've got plenty of stuff. I don't need anything, but I, oh... And today, this morning, they sent me a special $5 off leggings. So now I think I need leggings. I'm like, I need leggings. I don't want leggings. Do I need, I need leggings, apparently. You know, I'm shopping for leggings now. I don't even know what I'm doing. You watch these shows, and, you know, and maybe you don't watch The Home Improvement. Maybe you watch, like, the MTV Cribs where they display the guy's big house, these rich people, you know. And, and, and you liked your house before you watched this, and you liked your bathroom before you saw Snoop Dogg's bathroom, you know. And, man, Snoop Dogg has a basketball court in his bathroom, you know. I was like... And you want that. It's like, I can't go to the bathroom now without a basketball. So you go to Walmart, you buy the little Nerf hoop, you put it up in your room. Like, yeah, you're hanging out in your bathroom shooting hoops because you want to be like Snoop Dogg, but it's not really doing it for you. I'm not messing with you. Covetousness will, it'll rob you. And it's what we all do. It's wanting something, listen, that you probably already have enough of. Even if it's just time. I need more time. You probably have enough time. Stop being a weirdo. I need more peace. You probably have enough peace. I need more power. You probably, you probably have plenty of power. Whatever, it's, it may not be a thing. Right now, you could just settle and go, Lord, am I good? Have I have, do I have everything I need to be good right now? I think, I think I do. And if you believe that, if you don't covet anymore, you will be able to then 
counter, Mick Jagger, when he sings that you can't get no satisfaction. And you can say, no, 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 you actually can. You can find satisfaction in the Lord. I found it. How'd you find it? By not wanting that which I already have enough of. Found it. I just found it just like that. Because again, we're trained to see it in so many different ways. St. Francis of Assisi was a monk back in the year 1200. Radical man. And he goes on record to say this, that he had heard every confession of every sin from people in his days of ministry. People had confessed every single sin to him except the sin of covetousness. People would come to him, I, I committed adultery, I lied, I stole, I murdered, I did something bad. No one ever came and said, dude, I am totally coveting right now. Now, it could have been because it was the year 1200 and there was nothing to covet. You know what I'm saying? Like, like wouldn't it be horrible to be alive back then? Like, they had no Wi-Fi, no McDonald's, like, this horrible. Or it could have been, it could have been because them, like us, we were not aware of it. Or, even worse, we are aware of it, but we're okay with it. It's that one justifiable sin that I, I, just, I just want what I already have enough of, and I'm okay with living that lifestyle of want, even though the Lord's given me everything I need. Because Jesus, again, gave this excellent teaching, and this guy missed it somehow. Somehow he didn't hear a thing because he was stuck on what he wanted. And the Lord's like, whoa, beware and take heed of that. Don't do that. It's, it's really so simple. Tonight you could have your whole life changed. You could be at peace tonight for the first time. And nothing has transpired, nothing has resolved, nothing has been given to you, that which you already have. But right now you could be, I'm, I'm good. Jim Carrey, famous actor, has recently had a kind of a, a weird turn, turn about face something. He's going different route than he always has. But he has one quote. I don't subscribe to everything he believes, but he has one quote, Jim Carrey. He said, I wish every single person could become rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of in order that they could realize that that's not what they're looking for. Now, this is incredible because you and I are like, uh, let's give it a try then, you know. <laughs> uh, I'll believe it when I see it, you know, rich and famous, everything. And Jim's been there. And you have seen many millionaires and movie stars and musicians with the climax of their career kill themselves because what they were looking for wasn't there. It was, it was God the whole time. And they missed God. They missed God. They had everything else afforded to them. And God says, hey, guys, beware. Time out, time out, time out. I'm about to leave. Don't covet. Why not? Are you going to get really mad at us? I, no, that's not the point. The point is, is your life's going to stink. You're going to be in this cycle, in this circle. The very first billionaire of our modern history, J.D. Rockefeller, New York, Jewish man, made his millions back in the day. He was the first billionaire in the 1800s. And he was interviewed one time. His wealth, by the way, in those days, based on inflation rates these days, he would be worth right around $400 billion today. $400 billion. <laughs> That's a lot of $400 billion. The richest man today, our day, is Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, and he is about $100 billion. So this guy's four times that. Bill Gates is the second richest man just behind Jeff Bezos. This guy has more wealth than both of them combined times two. And when he was interviewed, J.D. Rockefeller, hey, J.D., how much money does it take to make a person happy? And his answer, iconic answer, a little bit more. You want to know what happiness is? It's just a little bit more. <laughs> but JD, you have $400 billion. Are you, saying you're, are, you, are you saying you're not happy? If I get a little more, I might be. But it is an illusion. It's like grasping at bubbles. Ooh, oh, ooh, and it just never ends. And the Lord says, don't covet those shiny things. Because I've already given to you. This is your benefit tonight. I've already given to you what you're looking for. I posted this on Facebook last night, that the happiest people aren't the ones that get whatever they want. 
The happiest people are the ones that want whatever they get. You want to say that again? The happiest people in the world aren't the ones that get whatever they want. The happiest people in the world are the ones that want whatever it is they've got. If you just want whatever it is you've got, why are you so happy? I'm good. Right now, I'm good. I don't need anything else. It's true. If you think you need something else to make you happy, you will never get there, never arrive, and your whole entire life will be one of unhappiness. I don't got no time for that. No time for that at all. Jesus doesn't want that for his children. So he says, guys, don't covet. It made the top 10 list. Don't want what other people have. It's going to mess with you. I've said this before too, and it's really a play on words, but it's true. The happiest people are the happiest people. It's a choice. You actually, I wanna, how do I be happy? You just do it. There's, there's nothing you need that's going to afford to you happiness. And so Jesus here gives this, your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. That'll change you, because we covet. Uh, this is so crazy, I'm being honest with you guys. I got home from Hawaii, okay, great vacation, on Thursday night, 10.30, PDX, and my good buddy, Adam Pearson, picked me up in my Tahoe. He had it parked at his house for the 10 days we were gone, and he picked me up in my car and drove us to his house, and I began driving home, and it's like midnight now, I'm on I-5, and as I'm driving on I-5, I was driving in the fast lane, passing everyone in the inferior lane. I mean, it's not the slow lane, I think. It does pass me, people. And I found myself just kind of observing these other vehicles. And I started observing vehicles at PDX. I have a 10-year-old Tahoe. I love it. It's amazing. It's such a blessing to have such a nice car for my family and all the rest. But there's some nicer cars in Portland, I noticed. You know, and, and these other cars had nice tires. And I was like, oh, those are some nice tires. And I began driving. I was just noticing other cars and how nice they were and how nice those tires were. And I started planning, how can I get some nice tires for my car? And I, be, and I found myself just... After an amazing trip, I have everything I need. My car, there's no check engine light on. I have a good car. And yet, if you're honest tonight, you would say, yeah, I covet all the time. It's, it's a prevailing sin in my life. I haven't murdered anybody in a, lot, in a while. You know, I'm, I'm doing that one. I'm trying not to lie. Well, that's a lie, but I don't want, you know. But the coveting, yeah, I'm all over the board. I covet all day long. Okay, maybe that's your problem. Maybe that's your issue. You're not happy. I just want happiness. If I get that, I'll be happy. No, you won't. No, you won't. Instead, be happy right now. Here's the two G's I never want you to forget. I want you to be grateful and generous right now, no matter what you got. Grateful and generous. Thank you, Lord, for my, for my 10-year-old vehicle. Thank you, Lord, that in 10 years, I might be able to have a vehicle. Whatever your case is. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Jesus, for this. And if you are grateful, you honor your father, and then you will become generous like him. It's just the way it works. And when my kids are grateful for what I give to them, and they're generous with one another, okay, it hasn't ever happened, but it will one day. But when they're grateful and generous, you know what I do as their dad? I kind of freak out a little bit. When they say thank you, every once in a while, they'll just, like, they'll just say, hey, dad, thank you for taking me out to, to dinner at Tap House. I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, well, we're all getting ice cream now, you know? You just said thank you without me having to say thank you. I'm gonna, I will surprise. They have no idea. My kids have no idea how much I would lavish gifts upon them if and when they were just grateful and generous. It would be nonstop. Did you know that the Father is the same with you? He says, if you're grateful tonight and generous, I'm going to mess, mess with your life. Malachi chapter 4, I'm going to give you so many blessings, you're going to have to get a warehouse. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do it. But you need to stop being myopic in your one agenda. You need to let it go. You need to be grateful for what you have and be generous. And live a lifestyle of not being a miser and a shrewd and like this guy. And you might even ask yourself tonight. You might say, yeah, this, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have bumper-to-bumper -bumper crops like this dude, Luke. I'm not rich. Okay? Don't raise your hand, but we categorize people as rich and poor. 
kind of just broad stroke categories. And, and, and then we tend to blame each other, don't we? Well, it's the rich that are the problem with America. It's the rich, the one percenters, the blah, blah, blah. And then it's the other people like, what's well, the poor people? It's the poor people that are taking their country down. It's welfare. It's all this blah, blah, blah. It's like, we just, it's really, really, it's the rich? It's the poor? Is, is it that simple? No, it's the Republicans. It's totally the Republicans. It's, it's Fox. I can't believe Fox. You know, it's horrible. Satan. You know, it's like, really? Really? Or CNN. It's the, it's the liberals. It's the Democrats. Like, I've never met a Democrat that loved Jesus. You know, it's like, what? Stop right there. Stop it. It's not the poor. It's not the rich. Not the Democrats. Not the Republicans. Okay. It's not a matter of broad-brushing strokes and having, you know, it's, it's the whites and the blacks, or it's this race, or it's that sex, or it's the men, it's the women. It's not, no, listen, it's a different word you need to attach to all of those words, righteous or unrighteous. Are you righteous in your rich, in your wealthness, in, in your richness, in your wealth? Are you righteous? Good. God's blessed you. You worked hard. You invested. You saved. You're generous and grateful. Good job. You should be rich in the things of the world and to God and be righteous. Are you poor? Are you righteous in your poverty? Do you work hard? Are you humble? Are you grateful? Are, are, are you hospitable? Good. Did you know Jesus was poor and righteous? And there are people who say, I'm homeless like Jesus, just need some beer. No, you're not homeless like Jesus, okay? You're homeless the opposite of Jesus. And there are unrighteous poor, and listen, there are unrighteous rich. There are those who have become rich through shrewd schemes and scams and greed and selfishness and lying. No, that's, that's not what I'm looking for. And there are those who are righteous in their poverty. I've been to people's homes who are in poverty, and they're righteous. You work a job, they're responsible, they're humble, they're grateful. And it's just the way their life is going to be. And it's the way that God has deemed it to be, and they are thankful. And it's a, it's a humbling experience. So whether you're rich, be righteous. Or whether you're poor, be righteous. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, just be righteous as to the Lord. And we tend to make these distinctions, and we see this guy. Let me just help you. You here who are here tonight, if I were to ask you, are you rich or poor, you might pick camp, okay? Let me just help you all. You all, y'all rich, okay? Just so you know, if you're an American, you're in the top percentage of the universe of the wealthiest people in the world. You're like, well, I don't have a lot of money. Do you have a phone, okay? Do you have a house? Do you have, a, do you have water in your house that has your phone in it, too? You might be able to say yeah to all of that. Yeah, I got some water in my house. Can you drink it like without boiling it? I was thinking about this in my house. How many sinks I have in my house, downstairs and upstairs? There are people right now that would say, you have a well in your house? Like, well, we don't call it a well. It's a sink. Like, and the water just flows right there. And it's, you can, and there are people right now that walk two miles each direction to get water they can't drink, that they have to cook in order to make it usable. And they go back and forth. And you and I got it all right there. We could just flush the toilet. You mean you flush clean water down the toilet? All day long. You know, it's like, no way! How do you do that? Because we're rich. And I don't want you to get it twisted. Because here, you're going to leave here tonight, you're going to be bummed about something. Satan's going to put a trinket in front of you, some shiny thing. Somebody's going to go by in an Escalade, and all you have is a Tahoe, and I can't believe it, you know, or whatever it is, or something. Or you're going to be on the city bus, you know, on your iPhone 6, and someone's going to pull their iPhone 8 out on the city bus. No way, iPhone 8, my life stinks, you know. No, it doesn't. Your life does not stink. Did you know that the average monthly income in America, and, and average means it's, it's the average. There's people higher and lower, but the average is 4,700 bucks a month. Okay, the average for an American home. Two income, whatever, $4,700, that's the average. Did you know if you go to Israel, it drops $1,500 to $3,200 a month? Guess what they're taking home, 3,200 bucks a month. If you go to Spain, it drops another $1,000 to $2,200 a month. If you go to Poland, it drops down to $1,000 per month to live in Poland. 
Anybody want to go to Poland? Didn't think so. Moving on. If you go to Russia and you live in Russia, it drops down to $810 per home per month. In China, which has a population, the biggest nation in the world is China. 1.4 billion people. They're making in their annual, no, no, not annual, monthly income in their homes $688 per month. Did you know that China is the only nation, by the way, parenthetical thought, that is in the next 30 years expected to shrink? They're actually trying to control their population through abortion and through, through birth and through high control. They're, they're the only population that says, we need to stop having humans. We need to control this, and they're going to shrink. They're hoping to get down to 1.2 billion by 2050. Every other country is rising and growing naturally, which is the case. They, they are not doing that based on their style. Anyways, Colombia, if you live in Colombia, you're going to look to make 526 bucks a month. Uh, Thailand, 470. Uh, most of you own some clothing made in Thailand. You'll see it on your shoes or your stuff. Those guys are making 470 on average per month in their house, and you, you were in America making a little more than that. In the Philippines, it drops down to $298 on average. Uh, India, India, the second biggest nation in the world, uh, 1.2 billion people living in India. And on average, that's a lot of people, on average, the Indian homes are bringing in 139 bucks a month. The poverty, Ethiopia. Ethiopia, the average monthly income per household, 50 bucks. 50 bucks. You could go to Tap House tonight and drop 50 bucks on dinner for two with a tip. Easy. They're gonna get, that's about $1.25 per day, something like that. If you go to Madagascar, it's $33, which is $1.10 per day. And let me tell you something. This isn't to shame you because you don't need to live in shame. If God's blessed you, okay, be righteous about it. Be grateful and generous. Thankful that you're an American. I, I stand in my backyard from time to time and just look at my house. We, we built it eight years ago when we moved here. And I... I Lord, this is such a nice house. I just thank you. I got three kids that are terrorizing the inside of my house right now, you know. But the outside's clean, you know. And I just, I, I just remind myself when I'm driving my car to, to not get into cover. I say, Lord, thank you. I have a car. I have friends. I have a church. It's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to have much. Those people in Madagascar and Ethiopia, right now, by the way, God has given them the joy of the Lord. And there are people sitting around their little huts and sitting in their areas and waiting for the water to come back. You know what they have? Fullness of joy. Joy. Because they know what they've got and they're thankful for it. It's, just, it's all I've ever known. So too with you. It's not, it's really an issue of your heart. Don't want more of what you already have enough of. Be thankful for what you have plenty of. And maybe how can you bless other people? Just, I, you know what you need to do if you have wealth, resources, anything at all? Just have an antenna up at all times. Lord, just use me whenever you want. My days and my dollars. You don't need to be reckless and crazy and writing checks to every single person you see. Put your antenna up, though, and the Lord will use you as he has chosen to use you to bless people with your time, talent, and treasure. Lord, And he says to you, by the way, when I use you, I will repay you. It will be more than you could ever anticipate. You won't be able to hold it in the storehouses of your life. And so when you ask yourself, am I rich? Do I have enough? The answer is yes, you do. This guy, though in the parable had a bumper to bumper crop which by the way in verse 16 it says that he had uh, a plentiful yield that should be your goal it should be our goal to be excellent to do things well to see an increase There's nothing wrong with investing nothing wrong with saving nothing wrong with having extra what's your heart though this guy all he wanted to do was take his six foot privacy fence and make it a 16 privacy fence 
you know? I want a big, I don't want anybody to see me. He wanted his 32-inch TV to be a 72-inch TV so it could be like he's real with real people all the time. And I just want to take my ease and do nothing and retract. This is one of the only verses in the Bible that speaks about retirement as we know it, and it doesn't put a good shade on it, just so you know. There's nothing wrong with vocationally retiring. I don't work anymore. I retired. What did you do with your time? I invested. My antenna is way up high. I'm always looking for people to help. I am looking for people because I don't want to get to the end of my days and die and have all of my stuff given away. This is a working thought. I'm going to give it out to you guys to work on it with me. Is there something in the back of your mind right now that says you should save money? Like, you, you think it's a trick question at this point. <laughs> you know, there, there should be. You should save money. Okay, something like save money. N not everyone's doing that well, but you should save some money. Now, is there something else in the back of your mind that you're thinking, you know what I should do? I should save as much money as I can so when I get older, I have as much money as possible. Like, I should have, I should, that should be the goal. Some of you are failing, some of you are succeeding, but I should have a lot of money when I get old. That's kind of the goal, okay? It's something in all of our minds, we just want that, or, man, how am I going to get that? What if we were okay with that to a degree, but what if the secondary goal or the preceding goal was this? Instead of trying to have as much money as possible when I die, what if you changed it and said, I want to try and have as much money spent as possible when I die? I want to, I want to be the guy that goes on record having spent, the not recklessly in credit, in weirdness, but I want, to, I want to spend as much money as possible before I die, doing good things, investing in others, helping people out. I, want to, I don't want to save as much as I can because one day I'm going to die and there's no U-Hauls and hearses. But instead I want, Lord, what if you just pray to Lord? I think, I'm, I think I don't believe you. And, I, and I'm scared to be generous and kind and benevolent and great. I'm scared to do it because I don't, and I, I hold and I pinch and I, and the Lord says this in Malachi, just keep giving and I'll give more than you gave. That's just the way it works. You test me on this. Be, be a gift. It's a test because you, some of us won't do it. But the Lord wants you to be blessed. He doesn't want you to live a life of myopic, problems and spasms and schisms and divisions and I can't see the good that's going on and all the teachings that Jesus has given me because my life is so bad. No, it's not. It's so good. Be generous and kind. Benevolent and share. This guy had to ask that question, what do I do with my stuff? This is obviously before the days of storage units. He had to make his own. We got plenty of those nowadays. It's not a sin. It's not a sin to have a storage unit. not a sin to have stuff. But it is a sin. To say, you know what I'm just going to do? Nothing. I'm going to get as much stuff as I can so I can do nothing. You missed the whole boat. You missed the whole deal. But if you say, I want to maximize my influence. I know a friend of mine who lives in Seattle and Ashland and Florida. He lives everywhere. He lives in Cape Blanco. He's got houses all over. He's very, very, very wealthy. And he began a project. He called it Project X years ago. And it was based on the 10 talents that Jesus taught on. That Jesus gives us talents on purpose to go invest and to bring a big return for the good of others and the glory of God. And his whole deal, he's actually the founding uh, president of Full Sail University in Florida, my, my friend. And, and he's trying to raise up young people that will be excellent in what they do. That will learn film school, that will become educated, that will become game changers for the good of others and the glory of God. That will actually become professionals and will make lots of money in order to cycle it back to those who have no money. In order to take all of this and give it away as fast as I can. And I believe that is the heart of God. To, to whatever degree. And you might not have aspirations to have a five-digit income or a six-digit income or have more money. That's not the message here. The message is, who has God made you to be? 
Respond in generosity and gratefulness. And you'll have the secret reward right now. You'll be actually the happiest person that you know. Isn't that kind of what you're all looking for? I just want to be the happiest person I know. There's nothing stopping you. Jesus says, beware and take heed of covetousness. I'm going to have the worship team come up and join us and lead us now in a response time as we understand what Jesus has done for us already. This has kind of been a weird teaching, kind of a monetary, like how we live in our lives. Okay? The transcendence of the message of Jesus, though, in what he's given to us in the death, burial, and resurrection, the gift he's already given to us, we have so much. There's nothing that he has not already imputed into our accounts that we lack. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if instead of leaving here today saying, that was a good teaching, I think, I wasn't listening because I needed help with my brother who's not being fair. <laughs> I was hoping I'd get a little something to tell my brother, you know. I was like, what? And instead of reacting that way tomorrow in your devotions or... When you check your own bank account, just say, Lord, you've been so good to me. Help, help me to now respond well, to be grateful and to be generous, to have my antenna up. And maybe you are poor. Maybe you barely make it at the end of the month, but you make it, and you got a well in your house, fresh water, and you can be so full of joy. And God says, I'm going to build a house for you. I got things going on you don't even know about. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, here we are tonight, and we pray in Jesus' name that your word would find soil in our hearts and produce fruit. Forgive us for being stubborn and obstinate and selfish and greedy. Forgive us for being coveters, professional coveters. We're really good at it. I pray, Lord, that this group here tonight would become generous and grateful to a greater degree that you would be able to honor them and they would see their lives change from the inside out, that they would be grateful, they would be happy, they would be the happiest people they know. Because you've already given them everything. It's, they don't need anything else, but Lord, you're not opposed to giving them more. That's not a problem as long as they see what they already have. And if you're here tonight and you would volunteer to the Lord to allow him to make you grateful and generous, and you would say, I need my eyes open. I need to be called on the carpet when I'm driving on the fast lane and checking other people's cars out. Lord, check my heart. But if you would just raise your hand up right now and say, yeah, check my heart, Lord. Make me generous. Make me grateful. Lord, I need your help, the Holy Spirit. Bring to remembrance the things that I've heard when I'm tested and tempted to want more of what I already have enough of. Help me, Lord, to be grateful. Raise your hand up right now to your Savior and just confess you need help. You're willing to receive what he has for you. Lord, my hands are up too. I can't do it in and of myself. I'll get weird, Lord. I'll start judging. I'll start getting funky. But Lord, I surrender to you in Jesus' name. And I ask, Lord, you would anoint me, Lord. And I ask you to anoint my friends. That you would bless them. That they might live a life, Lord, above reproach and above depression and above doubt and above fear and above all that stuff. And they would live full, grateful, generous lives because you have poured yourself out for us freely and given to us everything we need. There's nothing we lack. You're so good, Lord. We raise our hands saying, you are good. We want our gifts to come from the Father above. We want our wisdom, our peace, our wealth to be distributed to us from you, that you might distribute it through us to others, Lord. We raise our hands, surrendering to you and volunteering to you. You can put your hands down now. Father, we pray all these prayers, knowing that you have made room for us at the table. The table, Lord, of fellowship with you through the communion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's because of what you've done that we now can do what you've asked us to do. We come to the table proclaiming your death until you return. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said... 